Women Taking the Lead, episode 149. Failure is okay, and it's in fact an opportunity to try a different direction, so don't be so hard on yourself. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Dr. Jamie Orr, who is a successful entrepreneur, physicist, and educator with expertise across a wide range of technical fields. She's passionate about helping young companies and students alike to thrive and discover their potential. She's a co-founder of Mountain Lab, Lake Tahoe's first co-working space and innovation hub. Jamie also teaches courses in physics, mathematics, chemistry, and green sustainable education, and consults in the areas of economic development, entrepreneurship, and education. Jamie, that's just a little intro for everyone. So tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Sure. Thanks, Jody. Um, so in terms of humble beginnings, I, I think I was a student pretty much forever. Um, I, I spent a long, long time in college, uh, working towards my PhD in physics. And so I, I was there my entire twenties. I actually didn't graduate until I was 30, which is pretty standard for getting a, a physics PhD. Um, but you know, I was doing that, that college student life for over a decade. So I was, you know, taking classes, I was stuck in labs at two o'clock in the morning and I just was a slave. So I was being told I was doing this amazing thing and being this physicist, but at the same time being treated like I was still in grade school. And often I'd get the opinion from people outside of academia that, you know, grad students are just avoiding the real world. And so we were doing this very esoteric thing in our ivory tower. Um, and so, you know, it, I, I finally did finish and I'll, I'll get into that more later in the interview. Uh, but I did start teaching at a community college, which I really enjoyed. And that allowed me to stay home most of the time with my infant daughter that I had very quickly after graduate school. And so I was teaching part-time. And then eventually, uh, we, my family just decided that we had enough of Silicon Valley. It was getting very crowded, very expensive. And so we, within about a month, made the decision to pick up and move to Lake Tahoe. And that's when Tahoe Mountain Lab came into reality, just decided that wanted to, I wanted to go into my own business. Mm -hmm. And Lake Tahoe is not a bad place to go live after leaving Silicon Valley either. It must be beautiful there, especially this time of year. It is. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's one of those places that just makes you smile driving across town or biking across town every day. Yeah. And I know, you know, we were looking for a little intro, but, you know, I also get a sense that you really glazed over how difficult it was to be a graduate student, right? You were getting all this feedback from people who were like, oh, you know, you're kind of avoiding real life. You don't have the same worries that everyone does. But I also remember what it was like to be a student. And if you're a hard worker, you're a hard worker, no matter what you're doing. And 2 a.m. in a lab, that's not... <laughs> That's not something anyone aspires to. Um, and clearly, you know, that to, to get a PhD in physics, like th that's nothing to sneeze at. So you've clearly had success. You've made 
things work for you. You've adapted to your new environment. You're on an entrepreneurial adventure now, gone from graduate student to entrepreneur, which is just awesome. You know, and I can also hear like the the self-assurance, like you know what you're doing, you've come a long way, you've been through things. But take us back to a time when you were playing small, right? When those are those times when we undervalue how capable you know, we are and what, what we can do. But oftentimes we're not aware of it at the time. It's only in retrospect that we, you know, kind of shake our heads and go, what was I thinking? Like I was so capable of doing all sorts of things and I didn't see it. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Sure. So I'm going to go back to grad school and actually touch on that. I was about halfway through my program. So I was at the point where I had earned my master's degree. I was working with an experimental group. So it was, I was in a kind of traditional lab setting, you know, lab coats, large, loud equipment, um, a lot of these vacuum systems. I was working on making these nanostructures, so really, really tiny, tiny structures, and then analyzing them. But unfortunately, I was the only woman in my research group. And I had an advisor that would have preferred not to have any women in his research group. He was unfortunately um, pretty traditional, very sexist. And that is not something that I recognized when I joined the group. And he really just wanted an excuse to get rid of me. Uh, so even though I felt like I was working, you know, just as hard as my colleagues in the group, and, you know, being in that lab at two o'clock in the morning, I would get chided by him for taking a weekend off or for, being in the university choir, which was something I did to relieve stress and keep that creative side going while trying to, to work my way through grad school. And at a faculty meeting at about the halfway point when I would have either gone on to become a PhD candidate and start working on my dissertation work, um, he didn't even show up to the meeting. And what that signaled to the faculty is that I was not deserving of continuing. And so they actually voted me out of the department. So I was essentially fired as a graduate student. And that was devastating. I, I had worked so hard to be there and I, I just didn't know what else to do. I, I was in my mind, I was only a physicist. I wanted to be a physics professor. I wanted to do research and I, I was just left out in the cold. So I think I, I probably curled up into a ball and cried in my room for at least two weeks, um, before, really just fighting. And so I started calling the department chair and all of the faculty that I knew um, in the department that I felt could be allies and just talking about, you know, what can I do? Is there a way to get reinstated? But I didn't just do that. I, I actually, I also applied for law school. So I went ahead and while I was fighting the department and trying to work with them to, to get reinstated, I actually studied for the LSAT and took the exam and got into about six law schools across the country. And right at the same time that I was starting to get acceptance to law school and realizing I had another option, I found another research group in my department that was willing to, to bring me in and fight to get me reinstated. And the really funny thing is, one of the law schools was uh, DePaul Law School in Chicago, and I would have been going into intellectual property law. The chair of the department was a PhD physicist and a woman, and she had graduated from Cornell, and she had actually been in graduate school with the advisor 
at UC Davis that I ended up joining. So who ended up becoming an amazing advisor and who I ended up finishing my PhD with. So, you know, I really at that point realized that I wasn't just a physicist, that I had other options in life, that I, I actually did have value in, in other areas. I love that, Jamie, because, you know, yes, you, you know, there's that moment after something happens, right? And we just feel crushed and defeated. Like you said, you curled in a ball and cried for about two weeks, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that's that like, you know, healing phase, like when we cocoon and we just need to lick our wounds and start to feel better. But when you came out, like you came out fighting, yep. right? Not Not only to be reinstated, but also to say, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'll, I'll figure something else out. And the story really does. It's not funny, but it does kind of crack me up that while you're trying to get reinstated in this PhD program for physics, you're also applying for law school, which seems like worlds apart. But you also found somebody in one of the schools who had the same background as you do. What is the connection between (laughs) physics and law? I, yeah, I'm not really sure. I think it's a lot of the, you know, it's the logical thinking, it's um, argumentation. And, and, you know, especially yeah. when it comes to intellectual property, especially with the tech boom, you know, there is a need for a lot of uh, technical folks to yeah. be in that industry. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. And I love that you, you found advocates and allies, you know, people that could work for you, you know, because sometimes, you know, our, our instinct, you know, to, to experience something that that's, you know, it was harsh. Let's just call it what it is. It was harsh and it was cold and you were not valued for what you brought to the table. You know, it's very easy in those circumstances to buy into, you know, and, and make it mean that those things are true. Um, but I love that you took, you took control of your own story, you know, to, to just say that this is not who I am, you know, I'm worth so much more than this and then went on and took action. I think that's, what's important. You took action and you are here with us today. I love that, you know, and it's not too, not too many people experience such blatant sexism, you know, but it is, it is kind of important to know that it is still out there. Like there are certain industries and, and women who still face blatant sexism and that they need support. Yeah. you know, and people to rally around them. Um, because it, you know, we're getting to a point where it, I think it's a little more, um, covert <laughs> for lack of a better term these days, but you know, we all need to support one another. I don't, you know, 99% or more of the men out there, you know, want the best for women, but there are still, you know, the very small minority, you know, who can ruin careers mm-hmm. and and damage reputation. So it's important to recognize it when it happens as well. So kudos to you. And Jamie, now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Sure. So after graduate school, uh, I decided to teach part-time at a, at a community college in the center of Silicon Valley. And one of the things, you know, I always wanted to do was teach. It was the reason I went to grad school in the first place. I never saw myself being a researcher in a lab all the time. The thing that I enjoy the most about science and, and physics is sharing it. And so I, I got that teaching job and it was only part-time, but I was hoping it would be full-time. And it was convenient because Literally two weeks after my dissertation was signed and I was given my PhD, I found out I was pregnant with my first child. And 
my husband and I were ecstatic about that. But at the same time, it was like, oh, okay, now what? How do I, how do I get myself into the working world and get established when I'm you know, pregnant and huge and then have an infant? So the, the part-time teaching schedule actually really made that work for our family at the time. My husband was working in startups. And so I was teaching night classes after our daughter was born. And so I would, I would drop her off at his startup office sometimes into the lap of the CEO because he had a really great CEO at the time. And then I'd rush off to teach my class. And so we did this for almost two years where my husband was going through the startup hamster wheel. I was teaching part-time. Full-time positions are really hard to come by in academia. I didn't feel qualified for a full-time position at a four-year university because of some of the the hiccups and bumps during grad school that I, I just talked about. And I didn't necessarily know where I was going. And so, you know, one day my husband and I looked at each other and we were sitting there with a photo album of our daughter's first year. And we noticed that every happy moment, except for maybe one or two here and there, were pictures of us in Lake Tahoe. And so we looked at each other and said, why, why do we come back to Silicon Valley and just slave away and do this, you know, seemingly never-ending cycle when we are so much happier up there. And so we just packed up and left. So <laughs> I go ahead, Jamie, finish your thought. Yeah, sure. I, you know, it was one of those things where I still saw myself as a physics professor. So I, I never saw myself in a life outside of academia. And although there's a small community college in South Lake Tahoe and a very, very small four year school on the North shore of Lake Tahoe, you know, I wasn't expecting to get a job there. Um, they, they barely have a physics program. So, you know, I wasn't moving to, to try to work my way into those schools. So, you know, I'd never seen myself in a life outside of academia, but I wanted to give it a shot. And, and I'm, you know, I'm so glad we did. You know, my husband and I ended up going into business together and opening this, this co-working space in a, a tiny mountain town. And it's the best thing we've ever done. <laughs> I love that. You know, pictures really don't lie. Like even when we have a smake, a fake smile on our face, our eyes are a dead giveaway to what, what's going on with us. And I've had that same experience before where after a trip or something, I look at the pictures and I'm like, what was going on with me? That was a hard time in my life. So that was really great that you had that opportunity to look at the pictures and, and have that wake up call, like, we're not happy here. We're not happy with this lifestyle. We're happy at Lake Tahoe. That's the next place for us to be. And so again, like having the courage to, you know, pivot and move. And it's what brought you to where you are today, which we're going to get into a little bit. But before we go there, I'm very curious, you know, given your academic background, where you are now, you know, your personality style, because we're, we're all you know, we're all fashioned differently. And so we all show up as leaders a little bit differently. Jamie, how would you describe your leadership style? I am still very much a teacher. And I, I like to lead by teaching and working collaboratively with people. I don't like telling. I don't like barking orders. Um, I believe very much in the Socratic method of teaching. So I ask a lot of questions and I really, I try to use that to elevate the people that are around me to reach their potential and to accomplish things. Um, one of the things that's really important to me, and I think why I've become 
a leader, and especially in this community, is I'm very focused on action. Um, again, kind of getting back to physics, I, you know, I understand how systems interact really well. And so I'm focused on getting to that point where we can get those actions, can get those atoms moving around, and I'm willing to put in the work to do it. Mm, and that's great. And I love the collaborative style you describe in the Socratic method, which we don't do enough, I feel like, these days, because the reality is people buy in more when they've been allowed to contribute an idea, even if it's not the big idea. If they'd have had an opportunity to contribute a solution or a method or something, then they feel ownership in whatever they're working on. And then you don't have to manage them mm-hmm. at all. You know, they're, they're, on, they're along for the ride. All you have to do is keep giving them information. And, the, you know, they're a huge part of it. So, all right, Jamie, let's get a little bit into what you have going on today. But we're going to start with the challenge. So what is the biggest leadership or business challenge you're faced with right now? So in terms of Tahoe Mountain Lab, we just within the past month moved into our new expanded space. Uh, we started out in a very small kind of rundown 2000 square foot workspace. It had maybe 10 desks. And then as a company, we bought an 11,000 square foot old newspaper building in the center of town. And so we spent the past year renovating it and we're now open and it's full And so one of the big things is where do we go from here? So, you know, we're looking at, do we expand? Do we focus on this? And there's a lot of different directions we can go in. And then, you know, I'm also doing this consulting work. I do a lot of workforce development for the California community college system. I'm uh, asked to do a lot of economic development work and speaking. Um, It's really important to me to be involved in the community. So I'm sitting on several nonprofit boards. So personal challenge is burnout. Uh, I, I need to give myself permission and time to take care of my own needs. And you know, yesterday for the first time in weeks, I took two hours off and went for a hike because there's so many things I feel like I can contribute to, but I'm, I will burn out if I, if I don't start saying no. Yeah, that is huge. And especially when things are going right, mm-hmm. right? There's this, you know, need to like keep the momentum going, right? You, you can almost get crazy about it. You know, that if there's some success, you want more success, you want more success, but you're absolutely right. You're not at your best if you're not taking breaks, if you're not taking care of yourself. Like you definitely have to, you know, because you're, you're the generator of the business, you and your husband, you know, and if you guys aren't taking care of yourselves, the business at, at best will maintain its current results. But oftentimes what happens is it depreciates right? and things start slipping. So that's, I think there are a lot of people listening who can relate to that. My biggest challenge right now is finding way, better ways to take care of myself while I'm building my business or while I'm trying to really advance my career. So we can all relate to that. And on the flip side of this, Jamie, what's one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about and want to share with us? Sure. So this actually does bring the physicist in me back into my work. Very recently, I've been giving talks about the theory of emergence. And this is something that was very heavily involved in the research that I did as a graduate student looking at uh, protein folding. I was actually studying mad cow disease and, and why... This protein that exists naturally in our body can change all of a sudden and 
uh, has all of these new qualities and unfortunately they're toxic. But the theory of emergence goes beyond that. And just kind of as a, as a quick aside lesson, um, emergent theory talks about when a grouping of independent things, like a, think of a flock of birds, when they're flying together, we see this pattern and this behavior that no one bird can exhibit by itself. And so you get these emergent behaviors, and they're, they're typically very beautiful, although they seem very chaotic. But it's based on following very simple rules. You know, don't, don't fly into your neighbor, avoid predators, you know, those kinds of things. And so I'm starting to incorporate this theory of emergence into my community work. So I'm working with groups that are trying to build community activism, uh, maybe that are working on b- building philanthropic models, incorporating the theory of emergence in order to get to the action and the results that they're looking for. And so that's been really fun to be able to merge my physics background with my new work in workforce and economic development. I would have never made the connection <laughs> that, you know, that physics was related to, you know, the flock the patterns of birds and how that can teach us how to work together mm-hmm. and create initiatives. What are some of the things that you're applying? You know, what, what came out of um, your work on the theory of emergence that you're able to immediately and actionably apply to some of your community initiatives? Sure. So in, in terms of philanthropy, um, if you follow simple rules, you know, like you have a shared goal, you share that goal with your nearest neighbors. So maybe it's your six closest friends and they agree to share that goal and it grows out from there. All of a sudden you have a collaborative giving model that instead of giving 10 or $20 to these organizations in one-offs, you can collaboratively give thousands of dollars. So just working with that, and this is a model that a lot of women's funds are using, but again, incorporating the theory of emergence makes that model even stronger, and it, and it explains in a very scientific way why it works. Yeah, I love that, because one of, one of my core principles is we're better together. Yes. Right, and something like that, people, you know, they might, you know, donate 10 or $25 here or there, but when they see that their contribution has been pooled together and a group that they're involved in actually donated, like, say, $1,000, then they definitely feel tied to that $1,000 rather than that 10 or $25 mm-hmm. exactly. donation. And that makes them feel great, too. Okay, I love this. All right, Jamie, so... Give us a little bit more. You are doing a lot right now. You have a small child. You have this business. You know, you're, you know, building out and talking about growing and you're, you know, and now you're speaking to the community. And I know you're an educator, but, you know, of course, what's on, what is on a lot of people's mind is how do you do it? How do you make it all work? So if you don't mind, tell us about, you know, the people you have around you that help make it possible for you to sustain and expand your current level of success? Well, I have to give, give the most credit to my husband and my daughter. So my husband is one of my business partners and it's great because we're a really balanced team. So the, the two of us, I have the science background. He has a background in business development and sales and, you know, he's, he's my rock. So not only can we have a very successful marriage? We also have a successful business. And so that does take a lot of balancing, a lot of give and take, a lot of supporting each other through that. 
And then, you know, my daughter, she's been on conference room floors since she was, you know, a tiny infant. And you can tell that, that she loves it. She loves running around the building. She knows, you know, almost everybody that works here. And I love that she gets to see me in this role. Because again, like, you know, a, a lot of women don't get to see leaders or get to see women in roles that they would like to head towards. And so I'm hoping to give her a taste of that. And I, I can't wait to see where she takes it. And then my business partners, you know, in order to expand into this large business, we actually partnered up with one other couple and they're a contractor and a lawyer. So again, a very balanced and interesting team. And so the four of us together really rounded out and have so much to add. And we work really well together. We're friends and I, you know, we couldn't have done it without them. And we've built this amazing community in Tahoe Mountain Lab of people that have such amazing talents and backgrounds, and they inspire me and they motivate me every single day. Wow. That's amazing that with all of your business partners, you have perfectly rounded out the skill sets. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. So, all right, Jamie, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? One practice that helps me be a better leader is my willingness to elevate others to lead. Um, as I've said before, I, you know, I'm a teacher by nature, and I really believe in investing time into others around me. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Well, since I was studying proteins that affect the brain when I was a graduate student, my, my favorite book is, is actually Brain Rules by John Medina. It goes into a lot of the neuroscience about how memory works, how sleep affects you, and again, about you know, taking care of yourself and really uh, maximizing the efficiency of your, of your brain by understanding how it works. I think brain science is just fascinating. And I think we would all benefit by knowing more about how our brain works and just how our bodies work, too, to help us make better decisions for ourselves and set us up, ourselves up for success. So thank you for that recommendation. And Jamie, what advice would you give your younger self? Failure is okay. And it's, in fact, an opportunity to try a different direction. So don't be so hard on yourself. And share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. So the one that I try to remind myself throughout the day is to be kinder than is necessary because you never know what someone else is going through. That's a good one. I think that's definitely a motto everyone can live by. I um, actually, and I have a private Facebook group for the women who, and men, if they want to join, but it's all made up of all women at this point who, you know, just want to connect with each other and build community. And I asked them the question recently of, you know, what do you think if you had a magic wand, you know, what, what would you like to change in the world? And I can't even tell you how many um, of the women responded that they would like to bring more kindness, understanding, and empathy to the world because they feel that that was the biggest thing that was missing Yes. And that the world would be completely transformed if we could, we could, you know, put ourselves in other people's shoes and, and have more empathy and compassion for everyone that we meet. And it's so true. I agree completely. All right, Jamie, lastly, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Um, I'm on Twitter at JF underscore ORR. So JF or, 
um, also on LinkedIn. And then um, I'm, I always welcome contact through TahoeMountainLab.com. Awesome. And for those of you listening, you know you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life but need some support? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash contact to introduce yourself. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me and here's to your success.